passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our UFC 265 preview show. I am John Pollitt, joined by Phil Share Talk. The countdown is on. Lewis, gone Saturday night from the Toyota Center in Houston, Texas. How are you today, Phil? I'm good. I, I'm just looking forward to ending all this anxiety that I'm having about this uh, UFC heavyweight title. It's, it's caused me so uh, much uh, stress. Uh, asterisk, interim heavyweight <laughs> title. Look, I'll take what I can get right now just to calm all this the, this nervousness that I've had since this title's been in limbo. Well, this is a card that <laughs> I, I don't doubt uh, that Saturday night when we are doing our post show, I think we're going to get a number of really entertaining fights. And I think that will be, you know, it will probably probably be an enjoyable card. But there are times you always hear the argument, Phil, that don't don't throw a card out the window until the fights happen. But the entire structure of fight promotion is in the pre-fight interest. That is going to indicate how a pay-per-view is going to perform. It's not after the fact, looking back at these were quality fights. It's what is the level of interest in the days leading up to it? I, I sense like very, very little interest for this card on Saturday. Is this even um, giving uh, a benefit of the doubt is this a pay-per-view level card in your estimation? Sell me on it if you believe so. Well, I mean, it it is in the sense that there is a title fight at the top of the card, although we have to put a big asterisk on that. And uh, Jose Aldo is fighting on this card. He is somebody who uh, the pay-per-view audience is used to paying for. Um, of course, we lost a title fight when Amanda Nunez had to drop out. So that definitely takes some luster off of it. But the rest of the fights on the card are very good. So in terms of the quality level of all the fights, I do think it is... Um, likely to be set to satisfy the pay-per-view buyer but if you're the type of uh consumer who's really looking for that top fight as uh the decider it's probably a pass yeah i can see that just being a, a card that um you know on paper i think again i think that there's some really intriguing fights i mean the aldo fight and luke versus michael chiesa i think that those two fights are uh, of great stakes for both divisions and and maybe Derek Lewis and Cyril Gaon is I think the interim title being thrown at this has 
uh, provided criticism that's not necessarily warranted on these two fighters. I mean, what are they going to do? Say, no, you know what? I I prefer the the integrity of the title lineage. <laughs> thus, we should not be fighting for an interim title. I mean, that's not their fault. This is a promotional decision to uh, take a fight and add a bell and whistle to it that maybe they feel they needed, especially now that Amanda Nunez and Juliana Pena is off the card, which uh, I was really looking forward to that fight. I think Juliana Pena... Um, going back years ago, presented, you know, she was an interesting prospect coming off of the Ultimate Fighter that that showed a, a lot of ability that, you know, she, she had the long time off after having a child. But that was an interesting fight, as interesting as you're going to get for Amanda Nunez, where there has just been uh, such a difficulty finding challengers that you can uh, viably sell to the public as being a threat to Amanda. Yeah, and it was also a return to bantamweight for Amanda Nunez. And so that uh, posed some interesting questions as well, because she had been fighting at featherweight for uh, quite a while. Um, but unfortunately, uh, we're going to have to wait for that one. So if you if if you are on a strict budget, Phil, which I'm not accusing you of not being on, but let's just say that you had $60, $65, and that is it for spending on fights this month, okay? You can mm. only spend that amount it's this card, and it's Tyron Woodley, Jake Paul. Where is Phil Shertok, uh purchasing? Where is so, he putting his dollars? So I'm going to put a wrench in your plan and, and put another fight in there, and that's Manny Pacquiao versus Errol Spence, which okay. is happening this month. Uh, that I would, same, if same I, night as, as SummerSlam, like right down the street. That, that's SummerSlam. Oh, is, is it the same... Okay, they're so both I guess taking place it, yeah. in Vegas, and they've like coordinated it so those that are at SummerSlam, the event will be over by eleven Eastern, so people can get over in time for the Pacquiao fight. Oh, great! Yeah, I, I think they've done a, a, uh, some really great promotion for this one, better than they have in the past. Pacquiao's training looks uh, incredible, uh, so that that would be my pick because I'm looking for the highest level of, uh, you know, fighting and, and Manny Pacquiao is a hall of famer and still at an incredible level. And this is a big fight, uh, in boxing. So that would be my pick in terms of the Jake Paul thing. We, we, we touched on it. You know, there's a curiosity there, but it's not high level fighting. And now to Showtime's credit, they're putting on some real boxers on that undercard. Um, so that it's a lot better, I think, than what Triller was doing, but still it, it's not. The type of fighting that I, if if I only have sixty bucks or seventy bucks to spend, uh, that wouldn't be it. Yeah, and it's a, and it's a sixty dollar price tag for that Showtime pay per view at the end of the month with Woodley and Jake Paul. And I know that going into the Ben Askren fight, that was a lot of the concern was the Jake Paul audience that he is bringing to this event. Uh, are they the audience that is going to be spending money on a pay per view versus finding alternative mm. means? to find this fight and i think you could just see from the fallout of that thriller pay-per-view that they were uh, i mean god they were they were threatening legal action against streamers like you can tell uh, it had all the indications that they took a bath on that pay-per-view mm-hmm. yeah uh, i think uh, the fact that it switched now to showtime and showtime put on the mayweather versus logan paul fight so i mm-hmm. think this has a little bit uh you know it's a different animal altogether the thriller event had that the whole circus sideshow feel to it uh, curiosity i don't think this has that same level of carnival curiosity even though it is this bizarre attraction 
yeah, I think this is my level where like I, I do have an interest in in Paul and Woodley. Vitor Belfort and Oscar De La Hoya, none. Oh, oh, that that one's horrible. I mean, we'll see what happens. I mean, Triller has another event that they're trying to put on this month as well with Tiafimo Lopez. Vitor mm-hmm. Belfort was supposed to be on that f- card. They moved him once he got the main event. So I'm really curious to see how that Triller event this month does because that already got pushed back. So, and I, I don't think they're good. They, they definitely don't have the star power on that uh, pay per view. So we're really going to see how effective. To get- they spent an enormous amount to to get Lopez as well. Mm-hmm. So I mean, yeah. it's like they had to overspend to get get him as well. Uh, so that is you know just trying to make make that uh, work financially. Yeah, and I and I mean we're really going to see what is the power of the tr- uh, the Triller promotional machine here. Well, let us get into 265 on Saturday night. They are returning to the Toyota Center where they ran back in May for the fight between Michael Chandler and Charles Oliveira. And it looks like the building will be close to, if not completely full, on Saturday night. So that is um, another testament to the Houston market, which, uh, again, going back to their whole strategy here, was they have worked out an agreement with the city of Houston to bring several events here. And what they wanted was Francis Ngannou and Derek Lewis on this date. And Ngannou was not going to be ready for this date. And once he was not around and they just decided, well, this is our main event with Derek Lewis. We will insert someone new and they will have a championship to fight for. And thus we have Saturday's main event. Cyril Gaon is nine and zero. he has uh, fought six times in the UFC uh, with an unblemished record, and he is coming off decision wins over Jarzinho Rosenstruck and Alexander Volkov. So quality heavyweights that he has uh, wins over uh, to at least justify, I guess, a interim uh, title fight. While Derek Lewis has been competing with the UFC, uh, this will be his 22nd fight in the UFC at the age of 36. And of course, he had a previous championship fight against Daniel Cormier in 2018, lost that fight, then had the loss to Junior Dos Santos. But after that, he has put together four wins in a row against Blagoy Ivanov, Ilya Latifi, Alexei Olenek, and knocking out Curtis Blades this past February. Uh, and interestingly enough, Bill, uh, Cyril Gaon is the largest favorite on the entire card. Um, I guess uh, that's not entirely too surprising if you look at the history of uh Derek Lewis against elite strikers he he typically gets outstruck for most of the fight unless he and is only able to win if he's able to pull out some miracle knockout um and Cyril Gaon is somebody who's looked so sharp and made no mistakes of course undefeated in the UFC undefeated in MMA undefeated in kickboxing so the idea of him making a mistake to Derek Lewis seems uh, unlikely uh, some of the statistics here. So Derek Lewis, a man uh, noted for his power. And that that would make just even with these odds the way they are, I would be very nervous if I was just assuming Gon wins this fight. Which if you break this down, uh, uh, technically, I mean, you know, you can make a very compelling argument why Gon should win this fight. Derek Lewis is someone that you will be at the edge of your seat for that entire five rounds of this guy who will be around late in a fight. He may get exhausted, but he has been able to show that uh, famously against Alexander Volkov coming back to win that fight and is going to have that power. Uh, he, uh, this from the uh, the UFC stats here, 
2.59 significant strikes he lands per minute. Gone, on the other hand, 5.13 strikes per minute. That's an astounding total of Cyril gone and the offense Derek Lewis could be uh, facing on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, typically Lewis is a counter striker. He waits for his opponents to come in and likes to fire a counter shot. Uh, that's kind of why that uh, the original Francis Ngannou fight was so awful because Ngannou didn't want to engage. And then, and uh, Lewis also has a habit of playing possum. He'll take some shots, make it look like he's really hurt, wait for the opponent to come in there and swing again. And all of that does create for some pretty exciting moments in the octagon. Yeah, I mean, with, with Derek Lewis, I think, I, I don't think he, he always get, gets his due as a mm-hmm. heavyweight that, you know, this is not a guy that just goes out there and is reckless. I mean, I yep. think that he kind of puts out the, this image that that makes it seem that way. But this is a guy that has navigated this heavyweight division. And I mean, a 16 and five record in the UFC over all of these years and the guys that he has fought. I mean, to me, I, I would not place this guy at the the absolute top tier of UFC heavyweights, but he's on the rung right below that. Absolutely. He's very good at getting up whenever he gets taken down with the exception of, you know, like the elite wrestlers. Uh, he's able to find his way back up to his feet, usually able to get an underhook and uh, stand up. And uh, he's been improving. Uh, you know, he's put a lot of effort into his conditioning in the last couple of years. And I do think it's made a difference. And, and I think he's earned a title shot. It's just that it's unfortunate that it happens in this fashion. Now, another statistic to throw at you, Phil, is that Cyril Gaon has a 100% takedown defense percentage. Will that percentage <laughs> be threatened on Saturday by Derek Lewis? I can, I'm fairly confident that it will remain at 100% takedown defense and probably the same amount of takedown defense defenses. Uh, I'm I'm pretty confident uh, Derek Lewis is not going to go for any takedown in this fight. But hey, who knows? Maybe that's part of the strategy. Mix it up a little bit. What, what has stood out to you uh, against Cyril Gaon? Uh, again, he's he's got the wins this year alone over Rosenstruck and Volkov. He's only nine fights into his career. But I mean, from the get-go, he was looked upon as somebody that has a very high ceiling. He's 31 years of age, which in the heavyweight division is uh, you know not that advanced of an age. And... I mean, are we looking at somebody that this could really catapult him into that that top mix? Because a win here, uh, it puts him on a on a collision course with a Francis Ngannou. I think in terms of skill level, he's right there. He, he's earned his, a title shot as well, uh, being undefeated in the UFC and defeating some top fighters. But the the problem has been the critique has been his style. He's not the most exciting uh, in the octagon, even in the few times he's gotten uh, the finish. Uh, it's been after, you know, some fairly plodding technical work, which, look, you can't blame him for. He's not making any mistakes, and it's up to his opponents to create opportunities uh, for themselves. So I think a win over Derek Lewis, if it's through his usual fashion of outpointing him for five rounds... That's not going to do too much for him, but that puts him in a f- title fight with friends Sanganu, and you know the world is your oyster at that point. Have you been watching any of Embedded this week? I have not. You don't Should have I? to. 
Okay. This, listen, Embedded <laughs> certainly does have like it, its pattern to it during fight week. This has to be one of like the most unexciting. <laughs> like, dude, you're watching this. Like, Cyril Gone is at a golf range, just like at, at, at like firing off shots. Derek Lewis is in the park doing wind sprints. Jose Aldo's cutting some weight. Michael Kies is jumping on his bed. Dude, nothing. Nothing is happening. I watched all three episodes <laughs> last night, and I have nothing to tell you after nearly 30 minutes of Embedded. Well, I, I, I'm glad I got that recap because that was probably more entertaining than me uh, watching it. So thank you for that. But yeah, I've given up a lot on the UFC programming. Embedded is actually one of the ones that still you can kind of turn to every once in a while, typically, because, you know, you're just going through the rituals that they're, they're doing through fight a uh, week. And that can be interesting sometimes, but I guess not in this case. It really, the, the one last month where, I mean, at the beginning of every embedded, it is, you know, includes paid promotion. I mean, they're very upfront about uh -huh. like, you know, Im embedded advertising, but it's just so cringy when you go to like, Stephen Thompson, who's just like relaxing and gives us a whole tutorial on this like zombie game on his iPhone. And oh, it's just, brutal. Like, no, no. Man, it's like there's no subtlety to this at all, but that is a staple of Embedded. Um, last thing on this fight. Are you surprised at maybe the lack of just I thought that John Jones would be the, the conversation involving John Jones would be a bit more this week and maybe it'll amplify a little into the weekend, but Coming out of this, like you're essentially going to have a fight in place with the winner of this, presumably for Francis Ngannou, and that only pushes back any any sort of plans with John Jones. It just feels like John Jones has been put off into the corner, and people understand his reasons for that. But I mean, the UFC is just moving on, and it seems that not a whole lot of attention is being placed upon John Jones until this stalemate is figured out. Like it doesn't seem like there's a ton of like public um demand for this to be figured out it's kind of it's on the ufc's timetable yeah it really is there seems to be a standstill about the money and and the ufc does seem to have at least a couple options for francis Ngannou in the meantime um but if he is able to get through you know lewis and gone and and continues his path of destruction i do think eventually the public is going to clamor for this fight and the UFC and John Jones are going to be able to come to terms. If anything, it just builds an anticipation for the ultimate fight if it happens. And if John Jones is going to get a share of the revenue, then it's just going to be more money in his pocket. So um, I think from his perspective, he's okay to wait uh, for the biggest payday possible. And the UFC, you know, they'll they'll come to terms with him when you know when it's lucrative enough for them. So I guess Dana White this week did a an interview on the Full Send podcast, and uh, this was uh, transcribed by uh, BJPen.com. He said, me and Jones have had that type of relationship his whole career. When he's ready to fight, we are ready to go. He's talking about fighting at heavyweight, but in the heavyweight division right now, we're going back to Houston. Derek Lewis is taking on Cyril Gaon, and whoever wins that fight will fight Francis Ngannou. Whoever wins that fight, if John Jones wants to come back, he can fight one of them, or he can fight Stipe Miocic. Stipe has accepted that fight and will take that fight. White added that Jones won't fight until next year. Yeah, it seems like both the parties have sort of cooled their their sort of nastier public negotiations. 
Uh, I, John Jones has new management or at least some new advisors helping him. Uh, so I, I think that everybody does. Ultimately, everybody wants to come to the same deal. They want him to fight. They want it to be against Nganu and be the biggest fight possible. Or even Stipe, that would be a big fight. Um, but I think the Nganu one makes more sense. So it's just a matter of timing and uh, money. And I do think that they will come to terms eventually. Moving on down the main card, Jose Aldo continues his campaign at bantamweight with his fourth fight at 135 pounds, taking on a longtime veteran, Pedro Munoz. Uh, Aldo is coming off of that split decision loss to Marlon Marias, which earned him a title fight, and then losing to Piotr Jan by TKO Munoz. Uh, this will be his 15th fight in the UFC, and he is coming off of a unanimous decision victory over Jimmy Rivera back in February. And this has all the makings to be an outstanding fight. And Jose Aldo, like it, I, I think I make this point every time Jose Aldo fights, the guy is 34 years old. And that's shocking to me when you look at what this guy was doing in 2007 and still being like, you may not be looking at Jose Aldo prime Jose Aldo, but this is still a version of himself that I think can be competitive with the top bantamweights. Absolutely. I mean, you actually neglected his last fight, which was a win over uh, Marlon Vera at the end of 2020. Oh, that's right. Uh, that's right. The decision win over Vera. That was last Yeah. December. Yeah. So, and, uh, so, you know, we're talking about, and even that Mariah's fight was very close. Of course, a lot of people thought that he won. Um, and he got a title fight out of it. So he is definitely still able to compete with the best. He's one of the most exciting fighters uh, in the UFC, people get very excited to see him fight. And this fight in particular against Pedro Munoz, somebody else who has a history, uh, like, I mean, I don't know how many performance of the nights he's had plenty in his career. So this fight just has fireworks all over it. But I think maybe to your larger point about Aldo is he's incredible. He's elite, but he, he is just, it just feels like he's a peg short of the top of the top of that division. But the UFC loves him, and it wouldn't shock me to see him get another title fight if he can get a couple wins together. Our fun stats of this fight, Pedro Munoz lands on average 5.6 significant strikes per minute. However, he absorbs 5.87 strikes <laughs> per minute. That's, that's not a good, that's uh, a, that's that's not a good ratio. ratio. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's a, this, this is a fight that could be complete fireworks. Um, It'll be very interesting. Like these are two guys with like uh, tremendous takedown defense, especially Jose Aldo, and I think that this one is largely going to stay uh, on the feet and could very well be three rounds. But this is going to test Jose Aldo to certainly see where. Like I'm with you. I think that this is a guy that is a top five bantamweight. But once we are getting into that top five, um, that that's where I, I don't know how much Jose Aldo progresses if he is fighting a Corey Sanhagen, even a TJ Dillashaw that we just saw return, much less, um, you know, a Aljamain Sterling or Piotr Jan. But with Jose Aldo getting a win here, like to your point, Phil, like he has got that name identity and can leapfrog a lot of people. Like you have Jan and Sterling, and in theory, you could be looking at, TJ Dillashaw, but I think Dillashaw is going to have to fight again. That very well could be a pairing we see coming out of this. Yeah, With I mean, that, winner, that, to be honest, yeah, I think, I, and that's a, a really exciting one. I, I do think that TJ said he had some type of injury coming out of the the fight, so um, 
obvious i mean obviously had that that knee pop right that's right uh uh and the cut as well which forced him uh to delay the fight initially and it opened up there so it might be some time for him so you know timing is going to play a big factor hopefully the yan uh fights the yan sterling fight does go off as is scheduled to at the end of october um but if they've matched up aldo versus uh tj that's a really exciting fight that i think fans would get excited about yeah. Also in this whole bantamweight mix is Dominic Cruz, who will be on commentary. Uh, no Joe Rogan this Saturday. It will be John Anik with Daniel Cormier and Dominic Cruz for the night. Yeah, interesting. I mean, not far from uh, Rogan's new home of Austin, Texas. So uh, I guess he had, uh, he had better things to do. Michael Chiesa and Vicente Luque. Uh, this might be my favorite fight on the card. I think this is a very important fight at 170 pounds. Uh, Michael Chiesa has been unbeaten since he made the move up from lightweight where, um, man, every time we watch this guy fight, it's it's a miracle this guy was able to make lightweight as long as he did. Uh, he submitted Carlos Condit, got a decision win against Diego Sanchez, a decision against RDA, and is coming off a decision over Neil Magny. Uh, conversely, Vicente Luque, uh, he uh, has a 13-3 and record in the UFC and has won his last three, defeating Nico Price, Randy Brown, and his last uh, fight was against Tyron Woodley in what turned out to be Woodley's last fight in the UFC. He has won nine of his last 10 fights, the lone blemish in that stretch, to Stephen Wonderboy Thompson in November of 2019. I think this is a pretty simple fight to break down, Phil. I think that Vicente Luque is an elite level striker and Michael Chiesa has been somebody that when he is able to uh, get position on top of you, this guy is nasty with his, with his grappling and submission uh, ability as well. Um, Do you lean like one way or the other? I think this is a very difficult fight to break down. And with Michael Chiesa, we have not seen him fight in a year and a half since the beginning of 2020. Yeah, I think style wise, you, you nailed it. We, it's Classic grappler versus striker. Striker. Uh, Kiesa has looked incredible since moving up to welterweight, just like a blanket on top of all of his opponents. He looks like uh, he looks like he's a middleweight fighting at uh, welterweight. So the idea that he ever fought at lightweight is just uh, ludicrous. I, I don't think this guy would have trouble fighting at middleweight, to be quite honest with you. Like, yeah, maybe a little undersized against some, but he would fit into that division without too many. Like put a. Adesanya next to a Michael Chiesa, like it's not as stark a size difference as I think. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, they would they're probably very similar in size. Um, and then on the flip end, we've got Vincent Vicente Luque, who's very nice, been inc- been incredible uh, in the UFC. I mean, you mentioned his one loss in recent years to Stephen Thompson. You go back further; his only other loss, uh, without being on the Ultimate Fighter, was against Leon Edwards. So somebody else who's at the top of the division. So we're clearly talking about somebody who who's the best of the best in this division. Is just timing has prevented him from getting that title shot. Uh, but you know, with his big win over Tyron Woodley in his last fight, a finish, uh, and uh, this big showcase fight, I think he's. I think the winner of this fight is likely to set themselves up for a big match with Gilbert Burns. And uh, it would be hard to argue uh, for to not give the winner of that a title shot. I, I think Le- that Leon Edwards. 
I, I, I was going to say, I, I see Leon Edwards being the, the recipient of this winner as well. Like there, Burns and Edwards seem to be, it's funny. Burns is like, he's had his title fight and lost. Edwards has not had his title fight yet, but he's being treated as though he's already lost. Uh, yes, he does have a prior fight with Usman, but I think everyone understands what uh, point I'm trying to make. I think Leon Edwards is going to be uh, in the waiting room for a long time in this welterweight division, unfortunately. Yeah, I think he was trying to at least get some name fights. Uh, you know, he's trying to call out some notables to keep himself busy and make himself relevant. But I think the only way that he's going to get his title shot is if he just creates some noise, which is kind of sad. Do you think in this this modern time period for Michael Chiesa, like here is a guy that is a product of the Ultimate Fighter, arguably, I would say, the toughest season of Ultimate Fighter because of the the length that they had to spend there. He's a UFC analyst. How much does that go into, you know, the matchmaking process? Like, do you think that that gives him a significant edge when it comes down to, you know, deciding between him and another contender of who gets the bigger fight? I do think it makes a difference. I also think it makes a difference when they're selecting fight night main events. His last fight was a fight night main event. And I think he's a great analyst, actually. I really enjoy him on on uh, the broadcasts. And I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a more prominent role. Uh, the only concern that I have, of course, is just doing double duty, being an analyst while you're fighting. And, and you know, if you're calling the fights of guys that, you know, you're competing against. Uh, but I, I've never seen a problem with his an analysis in that regard, any bias uh, or obvious bias. Uh, but I do think it plays a factor in deciding if he's going to get a title fight over somebody else, especially somebody else who's maybe potentially not an English speaker or, or something like that. I should add that if we are going to isolate a highlight for Embedded, it was uh, Michael Chiesa uh, getting on top of his bed and addressing the cameraman saying, what, you want me to do something? Here, I'm jumping on the bed. <laughs> and then he goes... I know I'm not Paige Van Zant here. <laughs> well, amazing. I mean, he knows. Hey, hey, look, he knows how to create content, right? He made it to the show with that performance. This should be a great fight, and it's it's a very important one at, at welterweight. Um, you know, it's it's always I think going to be it, it's going to be one of those divisions where we have a super dominant champion in Kabaru Usman, but nonetheless, like it's like that is that's the game. It's creating challengers and. One of these two ascends very high in the welterweight picture. I would say they that if it's an impressive win, they are they probably leapfrog Leon Edwards, to be quite honest. Yeah, I, I think so. It's just that you know it's all about the timing of these fights uh, when they can get another one in. Um, but uh, yeah, especially especially Kiesa, I, I think he's on a roll right now. And the fact that he's an analyst, he's and a former Ultimate Fighter winner, I think all that plays a big factor in the UFC, uh, you know, eager to promote him. The rest of the main card features a rematch from UFC 188 in June of 2015. That was the infamous card where it was uh, Cain Velasquez uh, fighting at Elevation against Fabricio Verdum. <laughs> uh, that night, Tisha Torres won by unanimous decision. So here we are six years later. And she, th these two had been scheduled to fight back in December, but then Hill tested positive for COVID. Um, Torres uh, has lost uh, 
she had lost four in a row uh, between 2018 and 19, uh, losing decisions to Jessica Andrade, Joanna Janjacek, Zhang Wei Li, and then Marina Rodriguez, and is now coming off wins over Brianna Van Buren and Sam Hughes, uh, while Angela Hill had fought four times last year, ending with split decision losses to Claudia Gadelia and Michelle Watterson, and just beat Ashley Yoder back in March. And then opening the main card is a bantamweight fight between Song Yadong and Casey Kenny, which should be a pretty action-packed 135-pound fight to kick off the main card. Yeah, um, you know, Angela Hill and Tisha Torres. Tisha Torres, you mentioned that four-fight losing streak, but you look at those opponents, we're talking about the best in the division there. She's somebody who's always who's got unlimited cardio, and she looked great in her last two fights. Angela Hill is somebody who's sort of just fallen short of really looking elite. She's had some awful luck with uh, fight cancellations in the last, uh, you know, few years. I mean, you mentioned she fought four times. She probably could have fought eight times uh, last year, minus uh, all those uh, schedule changes. And then Song Yudong versus Casey Kenny. I think that's a pretty exciting fight as well. Casey Kenny coming off that loss to Dominic Cruz. He's a really good fighter. I'm really interested to see how he adjusts and comes back. Um, and there's a pretty good fight at the top of the preliminary card as well. Yes. I really like Bobby Green versus uh, Fiziev there. Yeah, uh, Raphael Faziv is Fiziev. nine and one, and yes, it's a. Uh, I, I, I double checked uh, pronunciation <laughs> here, so we're on the uh, the right track here. But you know, he is um, a lot of people are very high on him, and Bobby Green is he's a really strong lightweight challenge for him at this stage of his career. Bobby Green, like we talk about Angela Hill, this guy fought four times last year, but that was saying last year doesn't even properly put into context. He fought four times between June and October. And in that stretch, he won three of the four fights against Clay Guida, Lando Venata, and uh, Alan Petri. And then he's coming off that loss to Tiago Moises in October. This guy just had an insane stretch of four months here. Yeah, he's somebody who's been a... He's a very skilled fighter, always somebody who's had a lot of potential, but just couldn't put it together in the octagon, had some injuries, had some, you know, just some uh, mental, uh, like not, I don't want to say mental health issues, just sort of like mind game issues in the cage that he had to overcome. And it looked like he was making quite a bit of a run there uh, in that, you know, short window of uh, four fights. He did lose to Moises, but he's still a really exciting fighter. And as you uh, mentioned, a very tough test for Fizzy. And then the prelims also feature uh, Vince Morales versus uh, Draco Rodriguez at bantamweight. Ed Herman at the age of 40. First fight in the UFC was in 2006. To take It takes on uh, Alonzo Menafield at light heavyweight. Uh, Menafield has eight first round finishes, including an eight second win on the contender series, which uh, gives him the same uh, length of time that AJ McKee beat Georgie Karahanyan in. Though I bet the call for McKee's win was the superior one, as Mora Ronaldo proclaimed, <laughs> quicker than a TikTok video. <laughs> uh, uh, and then... <laughs> Opening the prelims is uh, Karolina Kovalkiewicz against Jessica Penne. Uh, this is, you know, kind of a crossroads fight, I would say, for both women at strawweight. Uh, Kovalkiewicz, who is, you know, she's had, she has fought like a lot of the quality strawweights in the division, including challenging uh, for the title back in 2015. But she has lost her last four going back to September of 2018. 
And I mean, a bit surprised that like she is two and six in the UFC. Uh, Jessica Penne, of course, she lost uh, four years between 2017 and 2020, 2021, and then returned this past April, uh, getting a split decision win over uh, Lupi uh, Godinez after uh, that whole losing stretch. So I would say, you know, Kovalkiewicz is 35, Penne is 38. I would say both. It's it's kind of must-win territory, I would say, for, for both individuals. And that's including Penne coming off a win. I think that it's uh, this would be a pretty tough loss th- at this portion after losing such a big chunk of her you know prime fighting years. I, I totally agree. It's just definitely for Penne, it's like make a run here and show the UFC what you got. And for uh, Kovalkiewicz, you know, you definitely need to win here because they haven't been the most uh, impressive performances, you know, dominating losses and hasn't really shown, you know, pep in her step, uh, any, you know, sense of urgency. So hopefully she shows it here and we get a good fight because uh, so much is on the line for both of them. And the early prelims have uh, Manel Kopp versus O'Day Osborne at flyweight. Anderson Dos Santos versus Miles Johns at 135 pounds. Flyweight women's fight between Victoria Leonardo and Melissa Gatto. And then a bantamweight fight opens the prelims with Johnny Munoz Jr. versus Jamie Simmons. So that is coming your way on Saturday night, UFC 265. I think going in with like measured expectations, this is certainly not the most uh, star-studded lineup, but I certainly think you can find some interesting stories and I think there's the potential for some great fights. I'm going to put you on the spot, Phil, that of the main card fights, how many decisions do you foresee? Because as I look at this, I could see quite a few. I'm, yeah. I'm going to say we're going to get one finish on the main card. I don't think that's a that's a crazy pick. I don't know which it's going to be, but I mean... Torres and Angela Hill, I think, could be a lock to go three. Uh, Kiesa and Luque, I would venture to guess, very likely could go three. Although in Munoz is one where it, it could just be a hard-fought 15 minutes. It could also be someone just lands that shot, which I, I could certainly see a stoppage there. And Lewis and Gone, yeah, it could end at any minute of the 25. It could also go 25 minutes. And I think if it goes 25, I don't know if there's going to be a lot of uh, praise being heaped on on a five round heavyweight main event between these two, but we shall see. Yeah. If, if this is, if this starts looking like a typical surreal gone fight in Houston, uh, fans might want to mute the television because the booze will be coming down fast and furious. Uh, were you alerted to the news, uh, Phil, that come this October, that the winner of the Fedor sweepstakes to fight him in Moscow has been awarded to Tim Johnson. I did. I did find that out. I think uh, who posted it in the uh, chat today? I think it was uh, uh, Brandon from New Jersey was the one who shared that information with us. So yeah, uh, I did know that. Um, yeah, kind of surprising, actually. Uh, you know, not a big name. I mean, somebody who's been on Bellator television in the last couple of years, but a huge guy and, you know, somebody that I just, would not want on top of Fedor to close out his career. No, I mean, Johnson is coming off that loss to Valentin Moldovsky, but I mean, he went five hard rounds with him. I mean, I'm, I, I think that this is probably not going to be a, 
a great ending for for Fedor Emelianenko. I think Tim Johnson, like stylistically, is just uh, in 2021. I don't know how many heavyweights you necessarily line up for Fedor that you'd just be looking at. Uh, this is a uh, just show up, and Fedor is going to remind everyone what it was like in 2005. I think you were it was going to be tough pickings to begin with. That's why I looked at Jake Hager as being someone that uh, probably had as much a chance as anyone of getting this fight. Hmm. I guess uh, Scott Coker and Bellator are deciding, you know, let's try to promote somebody that we have, somebody who's going to be with us. Hopefully they get the W. And if not, then it's a great send off for Fedor. All right. Well, that's going to wind things down. Phil, we are going to be back on Saturday night. As soon as the main event is over, you can flip it over here at youtube.com slash post wrestling, where we will be going live with a full rundown of the UFC 265 card. And as always, the Discord is going to be rocking on Saturday night, starring Phil Sharetalk, Brandon from New Jersey. Eric will be absent on Saturday night, but I mean, the whole crew will be there. New, new MMA fanatic. Our man, Neil, I'm sure will be <laughs> all over Derek Lewis, Cyril gone. That's, that's right. Yes. Uh, yeah, we will be having, uh, fight polls as usual. So you can come into the discord and chat with other postmarks during the event and vote on who is going to win. And, uh, we have a leaderboard. So we keep track of everything throughout uh, the year right now. Uh, Eric is on top of the leaderboard. He is the number one post prognosticator. Um, but it's a lot of fun. So head on over to postwrestling.com slash discord and uh, join us on Saturday night. Yes. And for everyone that are big fans of the excellent reports that Eric does for all the UFCs, it will be a little delayed, but he will have a UFC 265 report on the site because even though he has alternate plans, he will make sure that he is there from fight number one right through the end. The consummate professional. You might, you know, it's he's such a prof- professional you want to honor him in some way and the best way i think to honor him would be by buying your own eric mma marcotte limited edition t-shirt these are on sale at store.postwrestling.com right now from now until the end of august limited edition t-shirts on sale for a limited amount of time get it now while they're hot one of the best selling t-shirts in post history i mean it's popping up everywhere we got uh uh dicky bird modeling the the shirt uh you know this this is the phenomenon that is sweeping the post mma crossover it's this shirt that eric marcotte has just uh shown everybody what they're here for yeah i mean i haven't taken it off since i got mine um it's that's that's gross it's really hot out these days here (laughs) this is it just tells you how much affection i have for it well, you too can have a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week t-shirt from store.postwrestling.com. Go check that out. It's available throughout the month of August. And we are going to be back Saturday night. Uh, tune in for that. Way will be live on Friday night with Rewind to SmackDown, joined by Kate from Montreal. They'll be live at 10.15 Eastern for, new, for members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. And then the weekend rounds out with the NWA podcast dropping on Sunday with Nate Milton, Chris Ely, and... Andrew Thompson. So check out all of that great stuff at postwrestling.com. Phil, as always, thank you for steering the ship and looking forward to 265 on Saturday night where, and maybe uh, I'll have an update on what episodes four, five, and six of Embedded bring to us.
I, I, I can't wait. I think that will be my highlight of uh, Sunday morning, Saturday night. Yes. Yeah. Maybe it'll just be a whole episode of Michael Chiesa embedded by being embedded. By being embedded. Did, I, he was I jumping it? on his bed. I was oh, the bedded. I, I, was, I was thinking that you were doing another embedded product placement joke. So No, just... but he might. Who knows? We will find out maybe who will be the fighter uh, that has to sell us on the latest. Uh, maybe game. he could have an embedded, embedded, embedded where it's like Sealy Postropedic mattresses are sponsoring him on top of the bed. Yeah. Oh, there you go. The the intricate product placement of UFC sponsors. That is that is the draw of 265 Embedded. That's it for us. Thank you, everybody, for joining us live or after the fact. Goodbye. We'll speak with you Saturday night.